today we are talking about amicable divorce and amicable asset division. With a lot of my clients, I find that when we talk about amicable divorce, they think that we're talking about Munchkinland. Amicable divorce occurs on a scale. On one end of the scale is Munchkinland, where everybody's happy and everybody gets along. On the other end of the scale is Armageddon. Absolute destruction and warfare, pestilence, poverty. The experience of the children divorces in Armageddon, their well-being is super low and their trauma is super high. In Munchkinland, their well-being is higher and their trauma is lower. How do we get to Munchkinland? And why do we have Armageddon? Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today we are talking about a movement. There's a movement towards amicable divorce and amicable asset division. And I think it's really important that before we go too deep into this episode, which is all about what does it mean to divorce amicably and, and how does that impact your family and your asset division? Let's get really clear about what does this word amicable mean? You know, with a lot of my clients, I find that when we talk about amicable divorce, they think that we're talking about everybody's going to be friendly and happy and it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be like munchkin land. Hey, that reference may be a little old for some of you. If you haven't seen The Wizard of Oz, check out The Wizard of Oz. It's a classic. It never goes bad. You might even want to share it with your kids. Amicable divorce occurs on a scale. I want you to think of everything as occurring on a scale, right? Don't think good, bad, black, white, but there's a scale with everything in between, all right? So on one end of the scale is Munchkinland, where everybody's happy and everybody gets along. People like this, they know what they're going to do. Very often, the people in Munchkinland don't have children. There's something about having children that brings out the wicked witch in all of us, right? And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. On the other end of the scale is Armageddon, all right? Armageddon is absolute destruction and warfare, pestilence, uh, poverty, you know, and... Uh, on that end of the scale, by the way, it, the divorce isn't just like that, but the, the pestilence destruction can go on and on and on. Um, what makes the, what makes it the difference between Munchkin land and Armageddon? Munchkin land really is where two people are very much in agreement that they want to have this relationship transformed and they have some idea of where they want to go in that transformation. Usually it's a place they want peace, they want serenity, they want understanding. They don't need to be all lovey-dovey with each other, they, but they may still care for one another. They just not, they recognize that they're probably not in love with one another. Armageddon, on the other hand, is a place where both people feel like they're being screwed. Both people are argumentative and defensive. Both people are fighting and the fighting goes on and on and on and on and on. And by the way, in terms of the cost of divorce, right? The cost of divorce is determined more by legal fees than anything else. 
I cannot tell you how many clients I've had come to me for help with the emotional part. And they say, I can't afford you. I'm paying so much in legal fees. The legal fees will eat up everything you have. And it's not because lawyers are bad, not because lawyers, lawyers are evil. It's because they're highly trained and it's because the legal process demands a depth and breadth of understanding of not only the current law, but the history of marital law as it led to the current law in order to negotiate a divorce. Now, of course, the more both people agree on the outcome that they want, the less work there is for the attorneys. The more disagreement there is over here in Armageddon land, the more work there is for the attorneys. And so in Armageddon land, that's where we're talking about divorces that go on for 10 years and cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And in Munchkin land, that's where you read about those $129 divorces that you see sometimes advertised. There, there are no $129 divorces, by the way. That is a myth. But over in Munchkin land, that's where there's really not a lot of work for the lawyers because those people already know what they want. They already know how, what, how they want to divide things. They already know where they're going in the future and what kind of relationship they're going to have. Now, to make this a little more complicated and to move it from light and dark to shades in between, how do we get to Munchkin land and why do we have Armageddon? First, let's just talk about the legal history of divorce. In a nutshell, in this country, let's just stick to this country, not the world history of divorce. In this country, when divorce first started, uh, men were in charge and women had very few rights in the divorce process. And as men and women have come to see the absurdity of that, that we are all in fact equal, the legal system has adjusted to make up for the previous inequalities that were represented in the system. Now, in the earlier part of the system, it was created by men. Uh, it's a goal-oriented process. It's often adversarial. Um, that, that there's something about the male mindset where we're goal-oriented and when we meet challenges, we're going to overcome them. Uh, now, um, female brains are more entrenched in weighing out all the factors of the ecology and negotiating them and balancing them, while male brains... This is science, by the way. This isn't misogyny or, or sexism. This is science. Just go ahead and Google how uh, brains that evolve in testosterone are wired and how brains that are evolved in estrogen are wired. Basically, estrogen brains have more connections between the two lobes, so they have more facile moving between creativity and logic. Male brains have less connections, and so they tend to hang out on one side or the other, and they tend to be more linear. Right? There's something about those connections between the lobes that breeds more ecological, environmental, family or awareness 
there's something about less connections that tends to move towards uh, goal, being goal-oriented, less balancing of all the factors, and more how do we get through this. And so because the legal system was created by men, it tends to be, it, it was originally goal-oriented and less environmental, less balanced, uh, and more aggressive. And as women started to fight for their rights, legally, emotionally, which is something that's still going on, by the way, right? The court system, which was created to be contentious, became more contentious. Now we're hitting a point where, at least in word, men and women recognize the absurdity of the idea that men and women are unequal. There's still bias, right? Cultural bias, which in all of us, we're all hopefully working to uproot this cultural bias, but it still shows up. But the system itself is still designed to be somewhat contentious. So if you talk to any matrimonial attorney, right, the system itself is designed to be contentious. In fact, almost any lawyer who's engaged in litigation, which is the format of contention, will tell you that 97% of all divorces settle out of court. And the reason is, number one, Nobody wants to appear before a judge because the judge then has control of your decision-making process as opposed to you, right? And number two, it helps tone down some of the contention because it is the courtroom itself that breeds that competitive and cont contentious spirit. Now, that is, a, that is less and less true of the courtroom. The courtroom has evolved culturally, but think of the court as having its own culture. It's evolved culturally out of this very contentious background to one that's more collaborative, right? And so let me just tell, give you an education about the forms of divorce. In many states, there's litigation, which is more contentious, and there's mediation where a trained mediator will help both parties to have a more amicable divorce. And then there's collaborative law in some states where both people are represented by attorneys who agree that they will not litigate, that they will work collaboratively, sort of in the spirit of mediation, right? So these are alternatives to litigation. The catch is in order to go to mediation and have it work, or to go to collaborative law and have it work, both people in the divorce need to be at least buying the idea of Munchkinland, right? They may not believe they'll ever get to Munchkinland, but they need to buy into the concept of Munchkinland. They might be down here in Armageddon, but really yearning for Munchkinland. They need to buy into the idea that it can be amicable, right? And they need to allow the professionals, the mediator or the collaborative attorneys, as the case may be, to help them to identify places where they can find agreement. Am I making sense so far? Other factors in whether you're going to be in Munchkinland or Armageddon has to do with obviously the mindset of each individual in the partnership reorganization, dissolution and reorganization. Now, I want you to think about, don't think about divorce as the ending of a marriage as much as the bankruptcy of a relationship. I mean, if you think about it as the bankruptcy of a relationship, it's going to really help you, especially if you have children, right? Because the relationship, which was founded on the marriage, 
is emotionally bankrupt. That's what leads to Armageddon. When people are feel uh, like they're in survival mode, they feel like they're hungry, they feel like they aren't getting their needs met, they get more contentious. When there's children involved, you can't afford to stay in that place, right? Once the marriage itself is dissolved, the relationship is going to continue in the form of parenting. So think of it as taking a bankrupt relationship and rebuilding trust and reinvesting in the relationship for the sake of the children. Not the marriage, but a working relationship. You're going from a love-based shared vision of two people together who have children and a family to a business-based shared vision of two people on how they're going to raise their children. Now, they may like each other, they may not, but when they, you come from that place, I'm in a business relationship, I'm going to move from this hostile, contentious place where we both feel hurt, where we both feel betrayed, where we both feel screwed. We both feel screwed. I'm going to move from this place and we're going to let go of those feelings. We're going to let go of the marriage and the betrayal, the source of those feelings. And with letting go of the marriage and the source of those feelings, we're going to invest in a new contract, a business contract, a parenting business contract. That's the basis of an amicable divorce. Now, when two people like each other and do that, that's when you end up in munchkin land, right? Um, I'll tell you a story. I have a client that we're going to call Seth. Uh, Seth and Sherry, right? Because they both have S names. That's why they're in munchkin land. Maybe they should have names, but it's too late. They're Seth and Sherry. So Seth and Sherry, just they'd hit a point in their marriage where they just realized it just wasn't working. Both of them. And they had children and they didn't have, like they had limited assets and they knew, they knew that if they fought about it, they weren't going to have any assets, that any money they set aside to put their children through college was going to be invested in their divorce and putting their attorney's children through college. Right? I want you to think about it. Always think about your divorce in this frame when money is at the center. I've got other clients who have more money, different problems. So they sat down together and they actually mourned the loss of their relationship, their marriage, marital relationship together, right? We created a process of formal mourning where they wrote out everything about that marriage that they had hoped for and wanted and, and knew they were never going to have in, in that marriage everything that had led them into it, all the highest hopes they had for it. And we created a ritual for burying that marriage. And they both cried, first her and then him. And once they had buried the hopes and dreams of that shattered agreement, shattered covenant, shattered marriage, they were ready to create a new contract as parents. And as a result of letting go of the old stuff, right? Four steps to positive change. Let go of the old stuff. They were able to create a strategy for how to have that business relationship. And they took action on it. And when the unexpected came up, they adjusted their plan. And over time, they started spending, first they, they started spending Thanksgiving together. 
as a family. They alternated households. They'd have Thanksgiving dinner together as a family. Sherry got married. So Seth and Sherry and Sherry's husband had dinner together, Thanksgiving dinner together. Seth got married. Seth's wife and Sherry's husband, they all shared in co-parenting together. And when that jealousy over Sherry's husband, maybe crossing the line from step-parent to trying to be a parent came up, Seth and him straightened it out. And when Sherry felt that Seth's wife, because he did get married eventually, was crossing the line, they figured out how to divide the responsibilities so that Sherry felt her motherhood was being preserved and not being threatened. And so that Seth's wife understood that she was more than an aunt, more like a best friend aunt, maybe a sister aunt, but not an actual mother. When they figured those roles out, the things started to really work between them. But this is, uh, by the way, this is really un unusual. They actually made it to Munchkinland, right? And the kids, as a result, the kids felt minimal <laughs> on a scale. I'm going to talk about on a scale, right? The experience of the children divorces in Armageddon, their well-being is super low and their trauma is super high. In Munchkinland, their well-being is higher and their trauma is lower, but there's still trauma. And you need to understand, kids never want their parents to get divorced. They always feel responsible, even when their parents go to Munchkinland. But because their parents, Seth and Sherry, worked it out, and they had a contract and an understanding because they dealt with their emotions openly and clearly and honestly with each other. The children were far less traumatized and their sense of well-being was much higher. Right? And that's what happens when two people are in agreement. How often does that happen? Not very often. So here's the more likely outcome. And now I'm talking to you directly. I really want you to get this because you can make the difference here. The more likely outcome is that one of the two parents is going to get it about, wow, I really need to mourn and let go of what was the good and the bad. I need to forgive myself and forgive them. I need to develop my own vision for a business relationship with them, even if they're not ready for that yet. And then. I need to be prepared to surrender things. And that's going to feel really unfair, right? Uh, and, you know, what you need to know about the divorce process is no matter what, it feels unfair, by the way. Sherry and Seth often felt it was unfair. But as long as they felt that it was equally unfair, they did pretty well in staying to the road. As long as they felt like they were both losing out, it worked pretty well. This path I'm talking about here, where you own your stuff and clean up your side of the street, it's not fair. It's not fair. They get to keep acting out and being angry and talking stuff about you to the kids, and you're doing your best to show respect to them. I want you to know I went through that with my divorce, right? It didn't feel fair. But you will feel better about yourself you will feel stronger about yourself. Your kids will see your strength and they will be drawn to you. 
And the most important thing about cleaning up your side of the street and developing a vision for the future for you and your kids is that you can start to offset the negativity of the other parent, right? Kids will try on the emotional clothing of both parents. In Seth and Sherry's case, they had matching clothing. It was easy. In this case, you're going to be the one who's calm, centered, forgiving, relaxed, vulnerable, experiencing your hurt, experiencing your anger, but not directing it at him or her, not showing it to the kids directly, but talking to your coach about it, talking to your therapist about it, talking to your rabbi, your priest about it. You're going to be the one who's doing that work and your kids are going to see that and they're going to be drawn to you because you will be happier and more fulfilled and they will want what you have. They may from time to time act like the other parent. They may act self-centered. They may act angry. They may act blaming. They may act manipulative, but eventually they will see how much more comfortable you are in your skin and they will try on your clothing and go, oh my God, this is so much more comfortable. Like this path that I'm talking about here, this is the best thing you can do for your children and honestly for yourself, right? The price of resentment is loss of years of your life. Resentment triggers all kinds of chemical reactions in our body. And when we stay in resentment, it toxifies our bodies. It slows us down. And it literally, studies show people who are angry all the time or with frequency, they lose maybe 10 years of their life because of it, it toxifies their organs and takes years off their life. But even worse than that, the quality of your life, when we live in resentment, the quality of our lives is nil. It's negligible. It's like, it's like peeing in your own pants. Nobody wants to be around you because you're so pissed off. And even you get used to the smell after a while, but it just smells bad and it feels bad and you feel dirty. Every now and then you jump off that rage cliff and you have the exhilaration of the adrenaline, but even that stops being fulfilling after a while. You can't get angry enough after a while. It's like being a, an adrenaline junkie. In the beginning, it feels empowering. After a while, it just feels messy and ugly. So you get to choose. You get to choose which way you want to go on this. Do you want to, by the way, when you choose to go there, they're more likely to go there. Right, so here, I want to, the last piece about this. When you choose to go there, that's when Armageddon happens. That's when couples fight for years and years and years. And then they get to the, their divorce and they agree to things at the end of the divorce just to put it aside, but they still don't feel vindicated or validated. And a year later or two years later, they're back in court wanting more, 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 because I didn't get what I wanted. I'm so angry. I can't punish you enough. That is no way to live. That is no way to live. And you can't punish them. By the way, you can't punish them enough, right? You can't. And the more you punish them, the more you punish yourself. It's not, it's, you're going to have to trust that whatever punishment they deserve, for that matter, whatever punishment you deserve, whatever price we're going to pay for living in those, those negative emotions and dumping them on each other, we're going to pay them. Justice will happen in the, in the bigger picture. We have to, you have to trust because you know what? The court system doesn't deliver justice. You can't, there is no self-delivery of justice. All those movies about 
people who are judge, jury, and executioner, in the end, they always say, wow, I didn't feel fulfilled. There's no getting justice by you being the court, jury, and executioner. There's no getting justice. It doesn't feel good. Or you can choose this other path that I'm talking about, where you're letting go, creating strategy and moving forward. And they might even be inspired by you. They might even be like, wow, I want some of what he has or she has. I want to be more like that. Maybe I can let go of some of my stuff. And even if they're not inspired, when you're not reacting to their stuff, when you're deflecting their negativity, when you're deflecting their anger, when you're walking away and not engaging in it, they will find someone else to do that with. It will change the whole tone. When one of you, when one of us in the divorce process is willing to be amicable on the scale, it moves us out of Armageddon to somewhere in a five, or I'd be a six or even a seven, depending on how good we become at it. Amicable divorces reduce stress on you. They reduce stress on the other person which may or may not matter to you. They were, but most importantly, they reduce stress on the children. Okay. So let's just summarize. Amicable is a scale. And there are different, there are, there are levels of amicability ranging from extreme conflict to simple and easy conflict resolution. Conflict is always part of it, by the way. It's how we resolve it. There's two people working to create a future together. There's two people contending about the past. And how amicable the divorce is, is up to us. We might inspire them to come with us. By the way, in Seth and Sherry's story, it was actually Seth who led the way. It was actually Seth who said, Sherry, this is all we have. I don't want to fight about this. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. It was Seth who went out and got a coach. It was Seth who took the lead on that. It takes, always takes one person to take the lead. And Sherry wasn't so sure at first. She wasn't so sure if she, she could trust him. But she did. She chose to. She made a decision to trust him. So... We decide, one of us decides as the couple, do I want it to be contentious? Do I want it to be amicable? And how hard am I willing to work to have it be as amicable as possible, knowing that the more amicable it is, the less expensive the divorce financially and emotionally for me, for the children, for everyone involved. Too bad for the lawyer's kids, good for your kids. As always, if you have questions about this, I'd love to hear them. So you can email me, rich at richinrelationship.com. You can comment on this podcast or video, and I will comment back as soon as I pick up on it. Sometimes I'm pretty quick about it. Sometimes not so much. I apologize to those of you who have been slow on the uptake. If you like what you're hearing, if this is helpful, I want you to share it. If you like what you're hearing and this is helpful, subscribe, right? We only know how successful we are based on the shares, subscribes and comment, you know, comment, uh, you know, I hear that you can review podcasts now. Give us a positive review. That would be awesome. 
And next week, we're going to be continuing to explore the amicable divorce in asset division. I'm going to give you some stories about asset division. Uh, I'm going to give you an Armageddon story, okay? And we're going to talk about what works and what doesn't. So thank you for tuning in to Rich in Relationship and have a wonderful today.